Cool. <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead and uh, start with our quiz like we do every week. Um, do you guys need some more time with that, or do you think you have enough time so far? More time? All right. No, no? All right, cool. We'll go ahead and start going through them then. All right. We've got a couple quotation questions in here, too, so that'd probably take a little longer. So we'll go with uh, question number one. What is grace? Anybody? Boom. That's pretty good. The Bible fact quiz answer is grace means that God offers us his love and forgiveness as a gift, not because we have earned it or deserved it. So question number two, what is sanctification? Amen. Um, The Bible fact pack says sanctification is being separated from sin and set apart to serve God. Yeah, I like your answer better. (laughs) Simple. Um, So question number three, quotation question. How powerful is God's word? Yeah, there you go. You got, you got the main part, yeah. So it's from Hebrews 4, 2, or 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Question number four, what is meant? Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'll, I'll yes. <laughs> well, Hebrews 4, 12. So if I just give you the address. Yeah. Um, number three is, uh, that was number three. Yeah. Sorry. Number four is, uh, what is meant by the fullness of Christ's atonement? Boom. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty much it. Uh, Jesus death purchased both forgiveness from sin and freedom from its penalty. Question five, another quotation question. According to Romans chapter 10, what should we do to be saved? Yeah. <laughs> Good news is, yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't, don't got to try it. <laughs> yeah. That's the next class. Um, no, it from, comes from Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pretty simple. Um, all right, question six. What was the main purpose of the sacrifices and offerings made by the Israelites? That's exactly right. To make atonement for their sins. And question seven. Which which of the disciples was a tax collector? Yeah. Put that one towards the end so you guys can feel real good. Um, All right. Question eight. What is the last enemy to be destroyed? Yep. Death for anybody who didn't hear that. Question nine. Why is the devil not as powerful as God? Oh, yeah. He was created by God and has been defeated by Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a nice fun end to that. Um, And then question 10, another quotation question. According to Philippians chapter 1, what assurance do we have that God is able to keep us? That's, yeah, you got it. So Philippians, yeah. Thanks, she should be up here. Um, Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So, yeah, that's our final little quiz before our uh, teaching, because next week, like Pastor Stephen said, or Stephen, because he doesn't like to have that qualifier in front of his name, um, we're going to have our, uh, our quiz night. So 
hold on to those, study those, ask Hannah to get you an earpiece for your ear, whatever you want to do. But next week will be that, uh, that quiz. All right, so tonight we are talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, so far, we've kind of walked through the different characteristics of Scripture, and it kind of culminates in what we're talking about tonight, which is the sufficiency. The main question that we're going to kind of be going after is, is the Bible enough for knowing what God wants us to think or do and how we view the world? We're going to be kind of unpacking that through tonight. Um, so far, like I said, we've discussed the fact that Scripture has the authority of God, that it is without fault in its inerrancy, that it's clear in its ability to understand it, and that, uh, that we need it. That's what you guys discussed last week. So we're going to be looking at what Scripture says about its sufficiency. Makes sense, right? So uh, the d definition that we're going to go off of is sufficiency contains enough for us to find out about salvation and how we live the Christian life by changing our perspective on life. Excuse me. Um, I'll kind of run through an oversimplification of that definition at first. Then what we're going to end up doing is we're going to dive deeper <laughs> into what I think is uh, one of the most complete scriptural representations of the sufficiency of scripture that's found in Psalm 19. Then after that, we are going to talk about any other areas that might have uh, more of a subjective guidance that we might find outside of scripture, and if that even exists. And then we'll go on from there and talk about four practical applications to our life that we can use with the sufficiency of scripture. And then we'll finish it off with talking about how the sufficiency of Scripture should change our perspective on life. Kind of gave you guys a little bit of a roadmap this time, and hopefully we make it all the way through. So, starting off, we're talking about the uh, sufficiency of Scripture and what it tells us about salvation and how to live the Christian life. So, point number one is looking at what it talks about for salvation. Um, for both these points, we're going to be going into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. By this point, you guys should be real familiar with that because we go through it almost weekly, I feel like. so. But it's just real good and applicable. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 states this. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Um, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is basically saying here is, that Timothy has had the knowledge of salvation through the fact that he has been introduced to and spent time studying the scriptures. Essentially, the Bible enables us to understand the path of salvation that God put, put us on. Um, point number two for that, then, is living the Christian life. Excuse me. Uh, we're going to find that also in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So literally the next two verses down. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So essentially this is telling you that if you want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better coworker, a better counselor, a better neighbor, you just fill in the blank. This is providing you the template and intuition to do that. It's, it specifically says, 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this isn't just putting a qualifier on that saying that some things they'll tell you about. No, this is literally saying every good work you can find through the guidance of, of scriptures. And that's pretty much in a nutshell what the sufficiency of scripture is about. That's why God is so cool because a comp, uh, concept as complex as the sufficiency of scripture, I'm going to mess up that up so many times tonight, um, can be boiled down into a concept that like a dummy like me can understand like that and explain in five minutes. Um, but God is also cool because the concept of the sufficiency of scripture is something that you can spend literally a lifetime diving into and still not have fully figured out. So we've got about 45 more minutes, so that's what we're gonna do now. Um, and also I wanna keep my job, so we're gonna keep this going. Um, but so to do this, much like we did with the clarity of scripture, much like we did with the inerrancy of scripture, much like we did with the authority of scripture, we're gonna see what scripture says about itself and how it attests to its own sufficiency. And in order to do this, we're gonna to go to, like I said, one of the most complete representations of that that I think is in the Bible, and that is Psalm 19. And we're gonna spend some time in here for a second. So Psalm 19, essentially on the onset, is God revealing himself to his creation in two ways. The first half of Psalm 19, verses one through six, is God revealing himself through the world. And it's better known as the general revelation of God. The latter half of Psalm 19, specifically verses seven through nine, uh, is God's revelation of him through his word. And this is known as his specific or his special revelation. Now we're gonna look briefly at the first half of this because it's not our main talking point. Our main talking point tonight is the word of God, but I believe it sets a nice emphasis up for for the second half. So we're going we're to dive right into it. I'll go ahead and read it. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So essentially what this psalmist is explaining is, like I said, the general revelation of God through the world. So he is using the sun specifically in this uh, application and he starts it off by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Everybody knows that the sun exists. You know that the sun exists because it provides us life currently on earth. It's for vegetation, for vitamin D, start making the list as long as you want. So this general revelation is uh, essentially making people aware of God as the creator. I'm gonna do a quick example here as well. It's one of my favorite examples for creation attesting to a creator. It's my favorite example that I've heard, I guess. Um, and it, it has to do with, uh, I'm down on the term, engineering marvels. So let's say that there's a pump and there's a pump that can operate 
continuously without stopping day in and day out from anywhere from 80 to 100 years. And not only that, but it requires no maintenance, no checkups or anything of that nature. If you gathered around a bunch of engineers and told them about that pump, they would be like, oh my gosh, that is an absolute engineering marvel. We can't create something like that. And the fact of the matter is that pump exists inside of our bodies. It's our heart. So that's just one small example, but there are plenty of examples to creation attesting to the creator. So much so that uh, Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, uses that same verbiage and adds to it that because of that, men are without excuse. Like, there is no excuse for not knowing that there's a God. So, in a sense, the general revelation of the world is enough to damn. Thank God, though, for the second half of this psalm and his actual uh, specific revelation, because, as we'll find out, is the specific revelation is enough to save. Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 says it like this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So essentially this is saying that there is no salvation without the gospel. And if you take that one step further, there is no gospel without scripture. So it's at this point that the psalmist shifts from the worldview to the word view. And in uh, verses seven through nine, excuse me, I'm gonna take a sip of water here. Lose my voice. <clears throat> so, in these next three verses, we'll see six parallel statements that the psalmist makes about Scripture. And we'll kind of dive into this one at a time, so don't, don't you worry. Um, all right, so verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, revealing, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I'm going to add in verse 10 because I really like it. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So, throughout these six parallel statements, we see a breakdown of a title for scripture, six different titles for scripture. We see a breakdown of six different characteristics of scripture, and we see a breakdown of six benefits from scripture. He's super kind to put all those in there for us. The six titles we see from scripture are that it is law, it is testimony, it has precepts, it is commandments, it is fear, we'll get into that later, and it is judgments. The six characteristics are it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and it's true. And then the six benefits are it restores the soul, it makes wise the simple, it rejoices the heart, it enlightens the eyes, it endures forever, and it produces comprehensive righteousness. Those six statements are, in my opinion, one of the most stunning summations of the sufficiency of scripture that I think you can find. And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper into each one of those and kind of hash this out. In verse 7, it talks about the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. This word for perfect isn't necessarily the way that we would think about the word perfect as being antithetical for being imperfect. This 
word perfect in the original context is more of being perfect that it covers all aspects. It is complete and it possesses everything that we need. A good way to say it is, maybe in a different translation would be, it's a flawless set of instructions for completely restoring a man's soul. The second half of that is, uh, of verse seven, is the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I uh, kind of did a little bit of a deeper dive into that word simple, uh, and I was just like, I kind of was curious about what the meaning behind it was. And this word simple is akin to having your mind as an open door. And it's funny because I immediately thought of like that fun saying that people say, which is, you know, it's super edgy and it's, oh, I've got like an open mind. Like I, you know, I kind of like take in everything or whatever. <laughs> and like after reading verse seven, I'd probably say back to them, well, maybe you should close it a little bit. <laughs> like, you know, that's just my thoughts. Uh, but no, it's kind of like the same, same concept of guarding your heart. You know, it's, you want to make sure what you're taking in is good and it's pure and it's right. And guess what? This has all those things. Um, so yeah, that's verse seven. Verse eight talks about the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So precepts in this uh, context are like the doctrines of the Lord. These are the absolute truths and statute of the Lord. They're not just suggestions for life, but in fact, they're principles for behavior that when followed, rejoice the heart. And I found that second half a little bit interesting because at least me personally, when I think of like precepts or rules or things like of that, personally following them doesn't necessarily make me happy all the time. <laughs> My wife would attest that like when I'm driving on a road out in the country and I wanna go around a car, she'll yell at me that there's, it's double yellow lane still or whatever. And I'm like, well, it's more of like a guideline, you know? It's not, but this, this obviously is, is not in that, that concept. And not only that, but it says it will, uh, I just lost my spot. It will rejoice the heart. Like it's not following these rules will be hard to do or be burdensome to your heart or make you sit. No, this is doing the commandments of the Lord will rejoice your heart. I found that just kind of very empowering. Um, the second half of that verse eight is the commandment of the Lord is pure, delighting the eyes. And this concept of pure uh, is more akin to clear. Like Stephen taught a couple of weeks ago, the clarity of scripture. That means that the commandment of the Lord is easily understandable. So much so that when you take it to the context of the unbelieving Jews of Jesus's day, Jesus charged them with the fact that they didn't know scripture. How many times did you hear him say, have you not heard? Have you not read? Did you not search the scriptures? He was holding them responsible because they knew the scriptures and they were responsible for knowing it. You take that even a step further and the epistles that we were given by the apostles were written to a bunch of Gentiles who had no knowledge of Old Testament scripture. And yet they were able to understand the grace and salvation that God provided. And they were first generation used to be pagans and they were able to, to capture this information. So in our day and age, this thing is so readily available. You got your phones, got everything. There is no excuse for not knowing this stuff. I found that convicting a little bit. I don't know about you guys. Um, the last statement uh, talks about the command of the Lord is pure, delighting the eyes. This I akin to the fact of, you know, obviously the word of the Lord is pure, 
but the enlightening to the enlightening to the eyes. Sorry, I used two translations. I like the enlightening of the eyes better, because when a believer is fully ingrained into scriptures, is uh, in relationship with God, they should, in a sense, have the clearest picture on what life is and what our future holds. I akin it to like almost as you become a new believer, you're standing two feet away from a giant mural. But your specific stance, you can only see a few different colors and things of that nature. The more you dive in, the more you get connected with God, the more that you have a uh, eternal mindset, the farther from the wall you get. So you end up seeing this beautiful mural, actually. Oh, yeah, this is all congruent. This all does make sense. So, and this, is, this position is attested to by the latter half of verse 8. Down to verse 9. The, I'm going to read this out of my book. Uh, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So fear of the Lord, and I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but the uh, best understanding that I've had of it is worship of the Lord. Um, when we look at the proverb that says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, that's proper understanding of God and worshiping God is the foundation of wisdom, in my opinion. Um, and essentially, this Bible is a manual for worship. It tells you how to communicate with God. It tells you how to please God, if you will. And ultimately, it tells you how to pray, too. It teaches you how to pray. Specifically, the book of Psalms that we're in right now, for those of you who have trouble praying, which I definitely have my issues, Psalms is the best place to start for that. Literally, you can flip open to almost any Psalm, and it gives you a template for prayer. I'm actually going to try that out right now. Psalm 65, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and, you shall, or, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. I won't continue to go, but do you see how like, that's a perfect template for prayer? Study the scriptures, it helps you out with that. It's crazy how that works. Um, all right, so, and then the second half of verse 9 is, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This is just another summation of kind of what we've been discussing. They're divine verdicts. They are true. And the more you dive into the scripture, the more it produces a comprehensive knowledge of righteousness. That, that's how that works. So altogether, Psalm 19 tells us that scripture is sufficient in the fact that it has the power to transform your soul. It has the power to make you wise the power to give you joy, the power to give you complete understanding. It's eternally relevant and it's absolutely true. And honestly, you can spend way more time on it than just the past 10 minutes, 15 minutes that we just spent in that. And furthermore, actually, if you really want to do an even deeper dive, Psalm 119 is almost an exact parallel to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, though, is only 40 or 14 verses and Psalm 119 is 176 verses. So it's like the bonus extended edition. So you can, you can really spend some time diving into that. So we looked at the sufficiency of Scripture in regards to specifically what Scripture says about the sufficiency of it um, and how it provides instruction to our life. But what about as far as other subjective means of guidance in our life? Is there any room for that outside of Scripture? Because if we say that the Bible is all we need to interact with the world, does that leave any room for anything subjective? And this is where you kind of get into the intricacies of 
Sola Scriptura. I'm sure you guys have heard of this. It's one of the biggest points of the Protestant Reformation. And it was saying that Scripture alone is, is all you need. And I'm going to be careful with my words here. Yes, that is true. Um, but also, Scriptures do tell us about God being able to guide us or having kind of like an intuitive sense, if you will. So give me a second to explain this, this whole whole part, I guess. So I definitely am one of the first people to be kind of skeptical sometimes because I have, I'm sure like you guys have seen plenty of people abuse it. But it's important not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, I'll give you a quick story of an abuse of it just to, to kind of paint this picture. But when I hear the, some, somebody say, well, God told me this or God's leading me to do this, it definitely puts up a healthy bit of skepticism just because you want to want to hear them out. I personally, though, had a friend that die hard into scripture, super charismatic, a great friend, not such a great husband, not related to that. But uh, he one time told me like, hey, I think God is leading me to leave my wife and go on an adventure across the Midwest. And I responded, that's interesting because that seems a little counterintuitive to what this is saying about marriage and things of that nature. Um, come to find out, he ended up leaving his wife and went across the Midwest, and now I don't think he's really involved in the faith anymore. So with that said, I do believe God uses subjective impressions of his will to guide us in a daily basis. And in fact, scripture talks about this abundantly with being led by the Spirit. Romans 8.14 is a great example of this. When uh, Paul states, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Galatians 5.16 also says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then a third uh, verse to throw out into this example is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, talks about being weary of not quenching the Spirit. So, with that in mind, God will, when you are in tune to what He wants, which means being in tune to His Word, being in relationship with Him, praying with Him, to Him, um, He will impress on you the direction that He wants for your life and the way that He will lead you. This can look as small as some, you encouraging somebody, God impressing somebody on your heart to reach out to, uh, or even might sound as weird as like, taking a different path than you would normally take because, oh, actually you just ran into somebody and now you can pray for them. Um, it's very interesting how that happens sometimes. Personally, it's happened to me. I had a, a buddy in high school, good friend I hadn't talked to in a long time. And one week, all throughout the week, he was just being impressed on my heart. And I like didn't understand why. And I was like, well, maybe it's because I haven't talked to him in a while until finally towards the end of the week, I, I felt like I needed to reach out to him and I needed to comfort him too. And I was like, well, that's weird because I don't know what's going on. Come to find out his father had cancer and ended up passing away not too long after I reached out to him and we were able to kind of grieve together through that. So that's just a personal example. But if the more you are in tune to the spirit, the more you'll see things like that happen. There's no, no such thing anymore as uh, coincidence is what I like to say, but divine interaction is kind of the way that I see that. Um, yeah, yeah. You just said that uh, Dan Woodruff in Michigan, Blissville, not Blissville, Jasper Church, I was going to. He goes, I'm going to call this guy up. That's a true story, too. And he called him up. He goes, Do you want to call me? I was going to kill myself tonight. 
That's a fact. Yeah. He said, I'm so lonely. Nobody's talking to me. Right. He's, he actually said, he started, this guy started crying, telling the story. Yeah. I just went, yeah, nothing, coincidence, that's bull crap. Just like good luck. What's luck? Nothing. Right. Luck is nothing. Just like the same thing. It's like, gosh, God, pour, put it on your heart. Right. Do it. Yeah. And the, to that point, the more that you. Well, this guy, that was a, that was a true story. He goes, that guy would have killed himself. Yeah. The, the more that you become in tune to the spirit, the more it kind of takes you out of just the carnal and temporal view of the world, and you realize that there is other things going on. What's up? I heard instead of a, it, it being an incident, it's a God incident. There you go. I like that one. I'll have to take that one, too. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, the next aspect of subjective guidance, if you will, is the concept of prophecies. And I know I don't want to open up a big can worms with that either. The way that I'm going to define prophecies in this instance is uh, reports of what God has brought to mind that are spoken to us by other people. Continuing on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, it says that, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So with prophecies, the two caveats that I'm going to kind of put to this one are the fact that Anyone who prophesies or says that they're saying a word from the Lord, it should never contradict what's in here. Um, and furthermore, it should be tested by what's in here. I almost next time somebody that says, oh, I've got a word from God, pull this out and be like, OK, good, let's go. <laughs> like, I want to hear what you're going to say. Um, but because, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, if what they say something and it's not true, We've already discussed in earlier classes that that's not good. That's bad juju. Lots, lots of bad things happened to Old Testament prophets that ended up preaching things that were not of God. So, um, and actually, the, this is another kind of little bit of a personal twist to it, but uh, what I found out is more often than not, when people, when I believe that God is speaking to me through other people, I don't believe that they're even aware of it. And my example for this is I have like a, a council of advisors, was what I like to call them. I was going through a situation in life a few years ago which, where I wasn't really sure what I should be doing and what direction God wanted me to go in. And I was asking them each individually these questions. These individuals don't know each other. They're not good friends with each other. But I felt like literally one after the other were kind of adding on and confirming what each one had said to the point that I thought there was like a secret intervention going on behind my back. <laughs> but like personally, so that's what I've, I've come to find out is... is that's at least the most uh, readily available way that I see people prophesy to me, if you will. Um, so yes, so to finish this point up, there is subjective guidance when it is congruent with Scripture. Uh, and I think the sufficiency of Scripture will attest to that. Another small caveat I'll put on this, though, too. Lots of caveats today. Uh, while God may guide you individually in a subjective way, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the status quo for everybody else you know. Like, he might lead you to start fasting on a certain day of the week, or maybe you should stop watching so much TV, or fill in the blank. That doesn't mean that that's gung-ho game for you to like start beating everybody else over the head with that. No, that's, that's your specific conscience and leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. <laughs> um, a good way to sum this up is the sufficiency of scripture allows for freedom of conscience. And it's very careful to not mince that with freedom from conscience, like my buddy Brandon earlier. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to name drop. I apologize. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you guys don't know him, so it's all good. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, my buddy earlier. I shouldn't have wrote it down. Anyway, so this brings us to our next point, which is the four practical applications of the sufficiency of Scripture in our daily lives. If we are abiding in Scripture, then the sufficiency of Scripture should enable us to want to discover what God would have us think about particular doctrinal issues as well as what to do in particular situations. Yeah. So, just. so it is possible to collect all the passages of Scripture that relate directly to doctrinal issues, like the atonement or the person of Christ or the work of the Holy Spirit. Name the doctrinal issue, and you can find it in here, as well as ethical issues as well. So like raising children, marriage and divorce, truthfulness and lying, all those concepts as well can be found in here. Um, so that almost covers pretty much everything that we deal with on a daily basis, which is good news for us. Woohoo! You got the, the life manual. I don't know if, have you guys ever heard the silly acronym that the Bible is the basic instructions before leaving earth? Yeah. I think they're more intricate than just basic, but you know, it's just, it doesn't go as well. Um, so with that, though, I've, I've come across people that are like, well, you know, it doesn't talk about certain things in the Bible. And I was like, okay, yeah, like what? He's like, well, like intellectual property. Like the Bible doesn't talk about that. And I was like, okay, like, well, in what regards? And he's like, well, let's say you have an idea and I want to take that idea. Like, that's not in there. And I was like, well, I think you just answered your own question because in Exodus, it does talk about stealing. <laughs> so it, while it might not overtly state whatever specific thing you're thinking of, it does imply it through how you do that process, if that makes any sense. Um, and ultimately, the frequent practice in searching scriptures for guidance will lead to an increased ability to find accurate and carefully formulated answers to your problems and questions. So simply put, the more you read it, the more it sticks. Even for a dummy like me, it's starting to stick. I don't know the address of almost any verse in scripture, which is sad, but I know verses that are in there. And thank God for Google, you can just type in a couple words or whatever, and then boom, oh, that's the verse, that's where it's at. So yeah, score one for us. Um, so yeah, the second uh, practical application for life is the fact that we are reminded that we are not to add anything to Scripture or consider any other writings or theologies of equal value to Scripture. So I know we've kind of already talked about this a little bit, so I'll just briefly touch on this, but that's any modern-day theologies, older theologies, modernists, postmodernists, Karl Marx, Freud, whoever you want to throw in there, none of those stack up to this, and actually many of them are antithetical to this. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. And then the other little caveat to that, not caveat, the secondary note is God does not require us to believe anything about himself or his redemptive work not found in scripture. So has anybody here heard of like the book of Enoch or the gospel of Thomas or something along, or the alleged sayings of Jesus? If it's not in here, it's no good. And actually, if you do like skim over those things, you'll quickly see that they don't jive with what's in here anyway. So it's pretty easy to pick that out. That was point number two. Point number three is nothing is sin that is not forbidden by scripture, either explicitly or by implication. So 
An example I use for this is Mormons. I'll pick on them a little bit, but uh, oh wow, what's up? So <laughs> the party's this week, guys. Um, so no, the Mormons they believe that you can't drink coffee, and I've done some reading and I've never found that in the Bible. Now somebody might be like, oh, so like I can drink like three pots of coffee a day? Well, you know, that's between you and God, and like maybe ask the Spirit. There you go. That, I, that is, that is. I've actually been to a Hebrews coffee shop, so yeah, it is, it was delicious. And he'll be here all night, guys. Um, <laughs> so yeah, point number four then. So point number three was nothing is sin that's not forbidden by scripture, either explicitly or by implication. Point number four is in our doctrinal and ethical teaching, we should emphasize what scripture emphasizes and be content with what God has told us in Scripture. So this is kind of one of our main flags that we fly here at Redemption, right? We are a post-denominational church. We are not interested in dividing over the uh, secondary aspects of Scripture, if you will. One of my favorite examples of this is when I heard of a sect of believers that are called navalists, which navalists believe that Adam and Eve did not have a belly button. And while that's kind of interesting to think about, that's really not a point of salvation in my mind. <laughs> and so maybe that'd be kind of fun to talk over coffee or something, but not a point to split over. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, everybody's going to be like, what? No way. Um, so yeah, those are the four main applications that we can see from the sufficiency of Scripture in our daily lives, which kind of brings us to this next point. We've talked about now how it provides instruction for our lives. We talked about how it provides salvation for our lives. But ultimately, the sufficiency of Scripture should also change our perspective on life. When we change our perspective on life by diving deeper into the Scriptures, it changes our view from things of the carnal nature to things of the spiritual nature. We go from focusing on things that are visible to being heightened to things that are invisible. We start, stop thinking about the temporal world and start thinking about the eternal world. When thinking of the value of this book, it's kind of akin to like somebody who you know coming to your door and being like, hey, I've got this thing and it's the elixir of life. Literally, all you have to do is drink this and follow the instructions and you will be the epitome of health. You'll, have, you'll be stronger than anything. You'll be faster. If it's given to me, I might grow a few inches. It, it will provide you complete satisfaction here on earth. Um, you would be kind of dumbfounded. You'd be like, no way, that's amazing. And the thing, you'd be even more dumbfounded if you knew of legitimate people who had tried that and it worked. Because like, yeah, you're a snake oil salesman. But if it's actually working, then oh my goodness. And the fact of the matter is, this is infinitely more valuable than that fake scenario is. This, if you abide in it and it abides in you, gives you supernatural peace, unfathomable joy, unshakable security. It gives you personal identity. It gives you confidence, community, relationship. The list goes on. And ultimately, its value is more precious than gold. And that's what we just read earlier in Psalm 19. And I'll let you guys in on a little secret. I recently bought some gold. I ended up spending a whole lot of money for a very little bit of gold. <laughs> and I was just like, I was kind of shocked by that. And this is free. 
It's more valuable than gold and it's free. It's been given to us. So when you take that into consideration, honestly, this shouldn't be news to any of you guys. You guys are all like, yeah, we know this, obviously. But the fact of the matter is, this is news to a lot of people. And it's not just any news, but it's life-changing and life-saving news. So it's going to be the best news ever if communicated properly. I recently did some uh, study, uh, looking into studies in America, <clears throat> excuse me, and just on like the kind of the, the mental climate of America and anxiety and depression levels, and I'm sure you guys are aware of this, are through the roof. Uh, one of the studies that are committed to memory was that in the adult population, suicidal ideation has increased by over half a million in less than a year, which blew me away. This provides peace. There's also an identity crisis in America. And I'm not just talking about probably what you think I'm talking about, but I have, I've got friends that literally, they don't know what they want to do in life. And I, I heard psychologists talk about how it's a second adolescence that people are going into now. This provides life fulfillment and identity. <laughs> and then finally, we talked about the fact that God gave his general revelation. People are without excuse. They know God exists. But without this, there is no special revelation. They don't know the salvation that is available to them. So ultimately, the sufficiency of Scripture not only gives us salvation and provides us with knowledge on how to live a good life, but it should give you the desire to tell others about the same redemptive and transformative power that you've experienced and that they can experience as well. And it's all contained within it. So ultimately, the sufficiency of Scripture should give you all those things. It will give you the knowledge of salvation. It will give you the knowledge of how to live a good godly life. And it should change your perspective and make you want to share that with other people as well. And once again, we finished 15 minutes early. So we're going to go ahead and anybody want to ask any questions or anything you want to talk about? If not, then we'll pray and we'll hang out. Okay, yeah. You don't have a what? Because it's in so fundamental, but okay. it's so hard. Is how do you tell? Like, I, I have a friend that I just love dearly. I went to church with her years ago, and and then she got away from church. I talk with her all a lot. I, I say things, I mean, you know, I'm just a friend, and she's my friend. But I worry about her so much because, and I know I'm not supposed to worry. No. <laughs> Right. Or open up her heart to that. Because sometimes I think people's hearts are hard. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to get in there. I know we're not supposed to give up. Right. We're not going to, but I don't know. Maybe if somebody has a way that they've talked to their friend, I'd like to hear that. So, yeah, for sure. You know? Does any, so she wants to, uh, for lack of a better term, evangelize to one of her friends, is what the kind of question is. Papa? I, I will add, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Because trust me, I, I have friends too. I, one I call my project friend because I've been working on him for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but, but I realize that, yeah, at the end of the day, 
I'm not going to have some magical formulation of words that's going to bring him to salvation. Only God can do that. With that said, though, you can work on certain things like one of my favorite phrases to use is people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So I know that you said this is your friend, um, but maybe get her to open up a little bit more. See what what's like. And this is a tactful thing, too. But, yeah, what are her trepidations? What does she think about life after death? What, are, you know, kind of just, yeah, just, just tease that out a little bit. Um, yeah, that's my two cents answer. Anybody else have any nice recommendations for her? You said a little bit about loving Tate was DC Talk, and they went together with the Newsboys. And Tate comes out, they'll come out like in the aisle way, you know, how they set up the stage. He says, it's your job to save them. Your job is love them. It's mm -hmm. the Lord's job to save them. Yep. Save them. Yep. You, know, you just love them. Yep. He said it just like that. You know, it is true too. Right. You love a person enough, they're gonna ask you something. Yeah. Hey, what's up with you? Yeah. Something different about this guy. No, definitely. Yeah, and like my dad said, you might you might be planting seeds, you know, and like a couple years down the road, maybe somebody else comes into her life as well that kind of like continues that process on planting, watering, growing, you know. All those agriculture metaphors. All right, we'll go ahead and pray this on, and then you guys get out early. Yay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just an awesome night. Thank you for the individuals that are here tonight and uh, just for the sufficiency of your word. God, I pray that you uh, continue to embed your word deep within us, help us understand how to follow it, help us give, the, give us the joy that comes from it, um, and ultimately help us change our perspective on it and on life and give us the desire to help share this same news to others. God, I pray that you uh, bless everyone here on their way out and see them safely home. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.